0: Hi, I'm Jason Flom. Here on Righteous Convictions, I speak with some of today's most prominent and active agents of change, people who see the wrong in the world and are driven to make it right. Today's guest has done phenomenally well in the world of finance and brings that same instinct to his transformative work in the criminal legal reform movement.
1: If we're going to be contributors to criminal justice reform movement, we really need to understand it. And so we spent about three months mapping out what the system looked like. In that journey, which had me visiting prisons and jails, going to, to Europe and look at their prisons and jails, everything I looked at pissed me off. i only lose my temper around fairness. And it just seemed so goddamn unfair.
0: Underwriting a nationwide cash bail fund was just the beginning for this financier whose strategic philanthropy has already had a massive impact. Hedge fund manager and righteous philanthropist, Mike Novogratz, right now on Righteous Convictions.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online.
3: Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandy's. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandy's.
0: Welcome back to Righteous Convictions. This is my podcast where I have the privilege of interviewing some of the most important, influential, and interesting change makers in the world. And today is no exception. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Mike Novogratz, my friend, and somebody I really look up to. I got to be honest. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. So, Mike, I could spend the entire podcast just reading your resume, but it would probably be, (laughs) then you wouldn't get to talk. (laughs) But it's really crazy. I mean, for a guy who is the captain of the Princeton wrestling team while pursuing a degree in economics, that's a pretty unusual combination. Growing up in Virginia, spending time in the New Jersey National Guard, Goldman Sachs, a hedge fund called Fortress Investments, and finally now Galaxy Investments, where you focused on cryptocurrency, But more importantly, you're a philanthropist with a really strong point of view, not only mission-oriented, but also personally engaged in a way that few others are. But before we get into all that, I want to hear about your growing up. You know, so I, I grew up in a big Catholic family, middle class.
1: My dad was in the Army. I'm one of seven kids. I had a very aspirational mother. I think she thought our family would be the Kennedys because she named my sister Jackie, my brother Robert, me Michael. My next brother, John.
0: There's a pattern there, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of a pattern. She swears it wasn't the Kennedys. But she wanted a lot for her kids. You know, we grew up in a good public school neighborhood. And everyone was, yeah. You know, I used the word aspirational. Like, even though it was middle class, you know, it was aspirational middle class. I think I learned from my parents a really simple message, which permeates how I live my life and our philanthropy. If you can help, help. It was literally that simple. And you can always help. But we grew up going to the church and, you know, serving in a soup kitchen, and my dad coaching the soccer team, or my mom teaching CCD, which was, you know, the the Catholic Catechism that you used to get if you're a Catholic kid. That just kind of was in the DNA of our family, and so every one of my siblings is a philanthropist in their own right. Some of it's community based, some of it's friend based, some of it's strategic. I have a sister, Jacqueline, who you know, runs this thing called the Ackman Fund. So like philanthropy and talking about changing the world, you know, started when she was 14 and I was 10. And we used to laugh, how are you going to change the world? You know, she's like, I got to start now. And I was like, oh, well, you got to make a lot of money first. And so the, the day Fortress went public and we had stupid amounts of money, at least on paper. My first call was my sister, she said, okay, it's about time you start.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's great. And of course, Fortress is the hedge fund that put you in a position to really make a difference. And now you've moved on to your own fund, Galaxy Investments. And your strategic philanthropy through galaxy gives and it's interesting because you have a really diverse set of interests i'm talking about the acumen fund nyu langone medical center princeton varsity club school for strings the jazz foundation i mean obviously music is very near and dear to my heart my whole being as well but even more so is your work in the criminal legal reform space now through galaxy gives you have found a way to use your money to attack the problem from several different angles in order to have the greatest impact. And we're going to get into what that means in a minute. But I want to know, how did you first notice, become aware of the need for change in our criminal legal system? Kind of idiosyncratic.
1: My daughter, Anna, decided she was going to get a summer job for the Bronx Defenders. And she, in the summer, would go up to the Bronx and was a investigator. And she was a sophomore in all of five foot four, 110 pounds probably. And she would intrepidly march around the Bronx with one of her partners and take statements from bodega owners and look at the tapes. And, and I was like, you can't really be, you know, an investigator. You're, you're a summer intern. She's like, dad, I'm all they got. And that intrigued me, you know, through Anna, I met Robin Steinberg. She's just a force of nature. And then I went to a, uh, an event, you know, as luck would have it, I I owned a lot of cryptocurrencies in 2017 and they went sky high and it put me in a different financial position to be able to contribute. And I went to a conference that my brother-in-law threw called Audacious, where people would come up with audacious ideas and philanthropists would either fund them or not fund them. And I heard Robin's pitch. It was literally a nine minute pitch on the injustice of, of cash bail. And it was literally a very quick and intuitive decision. Yeah, you know, I made my by far largest philanthropic contribution to help stand up the bail project, taking this idea that her and her husband and a bunch of people, and I know, Jason, you contributed a lot, had started in New York and taken it nationally. That's what really got me into criminal justice. I heard a story. I felt I could help. It's that, what my mother said. If you can
0: help, help. I was in a position to help. And help you did. And to clarify, the bail project that Robin was pitching at Audacious was as- Mike explained a nationwide expansion okay. of the Bronx Freedom Fund that Robin began a decade earlier with my help, and it's great that this interview is happening on the heels of our episode with Scott Heckinger, who okay. similarly started the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund, as well as his new organization Zealous, in which again, Mike, you know, you've made a very okay. smart investment, and I use that word investment because that's how I think about how you approach this endeavor. Because once you got involved in the criminal legal reform space, you really did your homework in order to create a strategy that would get the biggest, well, let's call it a return on investment. I mean, you didn't just write a check. You know, I
1: realized you can't just be an idiot and like plunge into something and not know anything about it. And so I hired this awesome lieutenant, a guy named Billy Waterson, who you know well, uh, and said, Billy, if we're going to be contributors to criminal justice reform movement, we really need to understand it. And so we spent about three months mapping out on a big, giant piece of paper what the system looked like, who was funding what, from pretrial stuff to death penalty, to food in prisons, to almost every vertical, probation and parole. And we were meeting leaders of the different organizations, and we kind of mapped out what we thought was right and wrong, who was funded and who wasn't funded. In that journey, which had me visiting prisons and jails, had me go to, to Europe and look at their prisons and jails, it just got me angrier and angrier. Everything I looked at pissed me off. And you know I think when I look back at my life, I only lose my temper around fairness. And it just seems so goddamn unfair. And so we started Galaxy Leaders. We started funding lots of other groups. I like joined the Reform Alliance. And and criminal justice has become a you know major part of my life, and I've received so much more—the stories, the emotion, the, the understanding, the the learning from all these men and women that I've met that have suffered immensely and somehow come out the other side whole human beings miraculously—has uh, been a real blessing. And so, I am more optimistic than most in the field that change is possible. I think George Floyd. And that tragedy really opened people's eyes up and I think it opened a window where we can reimagine how things are done and so we're doubling down not backing away As an investor, I always try to invest in ideas I believe in and and leaders, because you can have great idea, but if you don't have the right leadership, nothing's going to happen. And Robin just exuded confidence and confidence and purpose. And so she was easy to invest in.
0: You know, I mean, while she was running the Bronx Defenders, Robin Steinberg told me how she had thousands of clients being sent to Rikers Island every year because... Just because they couldn't post bail for these nudnik nothing offenses. I'm talking about trespassing, jumping a turnstile, smoking a joint, open container violations, even riding a bike on a sidewalk. And for our audience who may not know how bail works, basically, when you get picked up for a low level crime, you have to post bail that will be returned to you upon your return to court. But if you can't pay, if you can't post a bail, then you're held in jail, pre-trial instead. And this is supposedly, allegedly to ensure that you won't flee. But that's a myth because if you think about it, if you're a person who doesn't have a few hundred dollars to pose for bail, you definitely don't have the resources that would allow you to flee your neighborhood, much less the city, state, or country. So I don't know, but I digress. So a bail fund like the Bronx Freedom Fund or Mike's And Robin's nationwide version of that, the bail project, pays the bail on behalf of the accused. And when that person returns for their court date, the money is given back, which replenishes the fund. So it's self-sustaining. But even more importantly, it fills a very important need, which is that it extends the justice system that the rich and middle class experience, at least to some extent. It extends this to the poor, with the exception of violent crimes, where a high bail is usually set. Tonight, 500,000 people will go to bed in jail
1: in a dangerous jail cell, away from their loved ones, away from their job, away from their kids, having not been convicted solely because they can't afford bail. Now, most bail that we paid in New York was under $2,000. Nationally, our average bail is just about $3,000. The bulk of America, over 50% of Americans do not have $400 at their disposal hear what I just said, half of our country doesn't have $400, $500 at their disposal. And so, you know, if you're a rich New Yorker, you're like, well, why did they just borrow money from one of their friends? They don't have friends with $500, right? Half of the country has no savings. And so what ends up happening is you end up sitting in jail for 13 days, 18 days, 19 days, and you end up pleading out. And so 98% of cases in America are plea. And, you know, the DA... I'll give you a lesser crime and you plea and you end up pleading guilty. And now you have a record for the rest of your life. And if you want to fight it, you could be in jail a long period of time before you're bailed out. People are like, wow, I can't believe you, you know bailed out the triple murderer. Like no one's bailing out the triple murderer who whose bail is set at $800,000 and then there's bail bondsmen. That's not what bail funds do. Bail funds bail out people who have much lower level bails that are below where bail bondsmen will make, right? Because a bail bondsman, he charges a usurious rate. And you don't get the money back. But on a $100 or $200 bail, it doesn't make any sense for them. And so they don't start really until the 10000 20000 25000 And that's a whole different conversation about what a crap industry that is. But so the Bail Project had this mission to first be humanitarian, right? A service. We're a service industry. We are literally paying bails because other people aren't and they can't afford it. But that allows us to collect tons of data and then to start arguing and advocating for better laws and doing it with evidence that keeping people out of jails counterintuitively keeps communities much safer. And the other side will argue that, my God, New York passed this bail law and look at how much more dangerous things got. That's just not the truth. The facts are the exact opposite. Even with COVID, crime is down. And if you look at the violent crimes, very few, I think total of three were about people who would have been kept in but got bailed out by the new
0: bail laws. Right, of course. And the media runs with that narrative the minute. And I hope people will be aware of this. When you see some story that some parolee or uh, some guy who was bailed out went and committed some gruesome crime, it's because it's sensationalistic. And so the media runs with that. But it really is just a head fake because society benefits greatly, as Mike said, when our people are allowed to go home to their families, their schools, their jobs, their churches, whatever they do. And this has been proven, right? What's the statistic, Mike, on people that uh, the bail fund bails out? Because I think some people are probably sitting there going, well, but if you're not responsible to pay money, you, you won't show up for court, right? But the statistics prove that's a, a lie as well.
1: In New York, it was over 95%. In Nationwide, it's certainly over 90%. There were a few pockets, and we learned a lot, right? There were some places where people weren't showing up as well. And then we realized, oh, they're not showing up because they have no transportation and they have no telephones. Like These are really poor people in rural Tulsa women in Tulsa, then you figure out, okay, how do you get them the support structure so they will show up? Most people don't want to run afoul of the law once they've already been arrested. They want to show up for their court date and get it beyond that. And so it's not like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde are running off and and hiding and putting on some costumes, right? Most people that miss bail miss it because they don't have transportation, they they don't want to lose their job, right? Because you spend time in jail, you're losing your job, you're scared. 50% of prison rape and 50% of prison suicide happens in the first three weeks people are in jail. It doesn't happen in prison. Uh, It happens in jail. Here's a great statistic. 50% or close to 50% of the people we bail out get the charges dropped. About 95% of the people we bail out never spend another day in jail. Like, so why are we keeping all these people in jail waiting trial? Do you...
2: The cat info now.
0: If you had a magic wand and could change one thing, what would it be?
1: I think it would be to shift from a system of punishment to one of rehabilitation and to one of helping people process their trauma. Our prison system should be a giant factory to help people get through trauma. And we've made huge progress as a society on how to help people get through trauma therapy to meditation, to you know, drugs like psilocybin and things like restorative justice in prison. Uh, I had this amazing story of somebody asked me to take care of one of the guys that had just gotten out him, if I could buy him a suit. And so I took the guy out to buy him a suit because he was just out after 15 years. And I heard his story and he was sitting in one of these restorative justice groups, which is really like group therapy. And he had very sadly as a young gang member, shot some guy in the back of the head who had snitched. He never understood why he did it. He understand. And seven years in, one of these restorative justice groups, he was telling his story and it flashed through his brain, him as a little kid, where he had snitched on his uncle as a five-year-old and his uncle smashed him in the back of the head and split his head open. And, and he literally, as he's telling that story, it all of piece together for him and he broke down and cried and, and he had this healing moment and from that day on he has been nothing but love and healing and helpful and you know he was finally given clemency I think 10 years later I heard that story and I was like oh my god that's that's what we're supposed to be trying to do to help people through their trauma so they can become whole citizens again taxpayers contributors and having learned from their mistakes like that's what a criminal justice system should be. And listen, I I, I'm not arguing that no one should spend time. I'm not a prison abolitionist. I think we could rip all the prisons out and rebuild a better system. But I do think, you know, society has its right to protect itself, that some people are traumatized enough that they're just too dangerous to be left on the street, that they need to go through a process until they they can heal themselves. And but we don't approach prison that way. We just say cage them away and hold them there because You know, they fucked up and screw them. And it's just such a lost opportunity for us as a country. And I think it can get changed.
0: I like that. That's really good. There's just not a lot we disagree on. Um, You know, I (laughs) want to tear the whole fucking thing down as well. And I want to build a system like the ones they have in Europe. In Germany, for instance, in prisons, the cells have locks on them, but they lock from the inside. They respect the people, even though they may have done something that society doesn't think that you should be able to do.
1: Our whole system has to be rethought on why we cage people. And you can go to other Western countries where every single person that runs a jail or prison in those countries has at least a master's in rehabilitation. Most have PhDs, right? The idea is to rehabilitate. In the U.S., Every single person I have met that runs a prison started as a guard.
0: I, I'm with you, Mike. I want to see us treat our citizens as something more than almost inanimate objects to be processed and then tortured by a system that's only designed to do that. And so yeah. we're we're in lockstep on that stuff. And so, and Jason, I'm
1: optimistic. You know, when we, when we got involved, like I was three and four years ago, there was literally only about $125 million of philanthropic capital a year coming into the space. And my guess is there's over a billion now. There are so many people I know that have gotten involved in big ways and small ways. George Floyd's accelerated it. Like I, I was pushing for Biden to hire a criminal justice czar. I'm still going to push for it. I've been a little disappointed in their approach so far. Like, well, a criminal justice czar, we had a drug czar, let's flip it. To help be a convener using the federal purse to pressure states in the same way they pressured states to you know pass higher drinking ages with Mothers Against drunk Driving back in 1983, there's lots that the federal government can do. We've got Democrats in the White House. I want to see them doing more. Both Biden and, and VP Harris didn't have a great record on criminal justice, and they got a chance to redeem themselves. And so let's, let's hope we see something. I want to leave on an optimistic note.
0: Yep. And I think we're going to see the end of mass incarceration in the next decade, or at least a huge dent in it. And I'd like to really speed that up. And I'm thrilled and honored to work alongside you and the other great people in this movement and for this movement. If you want to learn more about all the great work that Mike and his team are doing, go to galaxygives.com. That's galaxygives.com. So this is now the close of the show. We always do it uh, pretty much the same way, which is we just leave off with me thanking you for being here and sharing your perspective and giving us all the reason to be optimistic. Then I turn my microphone off and I leave yours on for whatever you think we may have left out. I call this section of the show Words of Wisdom. So what do you got?
1: Words of Wisdom. Uh, Listen, I love what you're doing. I think everybody can contribute. The thing I said at the beginning of the show, if you can help, help. I learned that from my mom and dad. A lot of people think, wow, I don't have the resources to help. Everybody has a resource. And so that's my word of wisdom you'll find the more effort you put in, the more you're going to get back. And so you can help help. I might make that a t-shirt.
0: Thank you for listening to Righteous Convictions. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardus. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Follow us on Instagram at wrongfulconviction, on Twitter at wrongconviction, and on Facebook at wrongfulconvictionpodcast. Righteous Convictions is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1.
2: More info now.